on the first day of the week, very early in the morning. The women took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself, what had happened? That's it. That's the story. That's what Easter is about. What happened, though? Like, what happened? The same question that Peter was asking, the same question that these ladies, as they come back, like, hey, the grave is empty, and they're like, you're crazy. The grave shouldn't be empty. What happened? Well, here's what happened. A man named Jesus came from the Father, God in the flesh. And he caused quite a stir in the area around Jerusalem. He was performing signs and miracles and wonders and just blowing people's mind and claiming to have the authority of God. And he was challenged by a group of religious leaders who really were not down with what he was talking about. So they had this trial. It was bogus, middle of the night kind of stuff. They drug him through real quick. And sentenced him to death by execution on the cross. And he was executed. He died. Some people laid him in a tomb. And he was there for three days. What happened? Well, some people went to the tomb. And it was empty. But they couldn't explain it. Until some wild events started happening. Later that day, Jesus just shows up to some people walking down the street. And then later that night, he shows up to the apostles as they're gathering around going, what are we going to do? Our leader is gone. And then he just begins to appear and to appear and to appear. Jesus, this teacher who had very publicly been executed. He was very publicly very dead. He was very publicly laid in a tomb. I'm talking about publicly, like there were government officials, guards stationed around the tomb because they were afraid that somebody might try to come and steal the body. Then he started to very publicly appear to people quite alive. And at first people didn't believe it, but he would share meals with them, and he would shake hands with them, and he would hang out with them, and they would just say, what? And they were convinced. And, and, And these witnesses, these initial witnesses, the Bible lists over 500 of them, many of them by name. These witnesses, their story became the foundation of this worldwide movement that has changed the world that we call Christianity. That's what happened. Now, if you doubt the resurrection, like, 
like these guys when they first heard it, because what I'm saying sounds like craziness, you're in good company. It's pretty crazy to believe that someone who died is now alive, right? I mean, unless they had like the, the resuscitating paddles in the emergency room, but even then, like you die again later eventually, right? So you're in good company. Uh, I've spent many times talking about uh, this, this concept of, of uh, proofs for the resurrection, and I, I normally go into a lot more detail on Easter Sunday to talk about that, but I'll tell you this, a lot of people have tried to refute the resurrection. In fact, it's been said that no event in history has, tried to, has been refuted or attempted to refute more times than the resurrection of Jesus. But what's crazy is that over and over and over and over and over and over, hundreds upon hundreds of people who have gone to try to refute the resurrection have looked at the evidence that exists, the testimonies of the witnesses, other circumstantial things, and have walked away convinced and have become Christians. Everyone from agnostic uh, to atheist to just skeptical, all of them saying, okay, and so I want to offer you a resource. We have a few of these left uh, at the back table. If you've got questions about the resurrection and maybe other things about the Christian faith, a lot of these people have taken to the pen to write down their findings and why they came to faith the way that they did. And so we've got a book called More Than a Carpenter that we just give away whenever we can. I think, I, I wish we had more copies. I think we have four or five copies at the, the Connection Hub back there. Feel free to grab that. It's a free gift to you as long as the supplies last, last on the way out today. And read some of that because here's the thing. The idea that someone raised from the dead is crazy unless it happened and if it did happen oh man it could change the world and I believe that it has that's what happened today we're not going to talk about what happened today I want to talk about what a lot of people call question zero before you answer the question what you need to answer the question why why the resurrection of all the creative ways God could have done something in the world, why come in the form of a human, live this life, die on a cross, raise from the dead, why? Uh, we're gonna start this morning a new teaching series called Kingdom Come. Uh, Kingdom Come in Wilmington as it is on heaven. That's a popular phrase that a lot of cities use, a lot of churches use, it's pretty cool. What's the Kingdom Come all about? Well, one time as Jesus was uh, teaching his disciples a lot of things, he was teaching them how to pray, and he shared this prayer with them. He's like, when you should pray, here's, here's a model prayer you can use. A lot of people have called this the Lord's Prayer. A lot of traditions also call it the Our Father. You're probably familiar with it. You've heard it. I'm most familiar with it, honestly, not from church, but from uh, the high school wrestling team. Every time we had a match, like the team would come around and one of the people would lead us in the Lord's Prayer before we wrestled. And if, if you don't know it, or even if you do, here it is. It's from Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's a great prayer. We could break it down. We could talk a lot about it. But there's a line in that prayer that I want to kind of extrapolate and pull out. And it's going to be kind of an anchor point for this whole teaching series that we're doing. And it's this line where he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does it mean for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven? Why did Jesus come and do the crucifixion? Why did Jesus do the resurrection? I believe it all lands in one specific thing. I think Jesus' main goal was to come and establish his kingdom on earth. That was the point of why he did this, to bring the character and the nature of God's presence to a broken world, 
so that there could be healing, so there could be wholeness. So when Jesus hits the scene and he starts teaching, like when you read Jesus' very first sermons, most of them are one sentence long because it's just a summary, and he would say basically this, repent, that means turn your heart back to God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was like the summary of all his major sermons. And then when you go on and you listen to some of his stories, he told a lot of parables that helped to teach his points. You know what his parables were about mostly? The kingdom of heaven. He'd say, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And he would talk about a farmer in a field or some sheep or some birds in the air. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Because this is his major thing. When you think about the kingdom of heaven, sometimes it's called the kingdom of God. Jesus uses these phrases interchangeably. What is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? Uh, well, what is a kingdom? You know, when you think about a kingdom, I think it's defined by a few key things. Mainly borders and boundaries, you know, like this is where our domain is. That's, that's a kingdom. It's defined by like its economy. What currency does it use? What do the taxes look like? What's the import and export, right? That's a kingdom. That's what it looks like. Think government too when you think king- kingdom. Uh, it's, the other big part is it's military. If you don't have a military, you really don't have a kingdom. There's really not much you can do to protect your kingdom or preserve your kingdom. Kings and queens and rulers throughout history have established kingdoms and dominion through military strength and monetary strength. That's, That's what kingdoms do. Now, here's the thing. What is the kingdom of God? It really doesn't require any of that. I mean, there's comparisons. But, like, does God need borders? No, the whole earth is his. He created it. It's his. And so his kingdom is not about borders. It's not about boundaries. Does he need economy? Sure, we talked about raising some money to help a church in Goldsboro and some other things. But no, everything on the planet belongs to him. He made it. It's his. He doesn't need economy. He doesn't need to trade with other people because he can create anything he wants. So his kingdom is entirely different. Instead, the kingdom of God is all about the authority and the character not of the dominion of the area, but of the ruler, of the king. And to be in the kingdom of God is to be under that authority and to be striving towards that character. And so when you hear the kingdom of God, you might have this concept of like heaven. It's another place, you know. The kingdom of God is someday up there. That's not the way Jesus presents the kingdom of God at all. His goal is to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So that's kind of a setup for this whole series we're going to be getting into for the next five or six weeks. And we're going to dive into a lot of questions about the kingdom of God because I really believe that at its heart, the church is the kingdom of God on this earth. We get to do the work of the king, but we're not going to talk about the kingdom so much today. That's the next few weeks. Today, I want to focus in on the single feature of the kingdom, which is our king. Why the resurrection? Why was it God's goal to come down here and do the things he waited, the way that he did it, death, burial, and resurrection? He came to establish a different type of kingdom. And to have a different type of kingdom, you got to have a different type of king. Let's talk about our king. If you got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're going to be in the book of Philippians, uh, which is in the New Testament of our Bibles. Feel free to use it on your phone. Uh, we've got some Bibles that are free that you can have today. There's a shelf by the door. If you need a Bible to use for the service, just... Go get it and bring it back to your seat. Use it and put it back when you're done. Or if you want a Bible to keep forever, it's yours. Put your name in the front cover. We love people having good readable versions of the Bible. But we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, which is in the New Testament of the Bible. It's written by a guy named the Apostle Paul who had a broken past. This guy was actually a a religious terrorist. He was Jewish, but he made a living of killing Christians. That's what he did until he met Jesus. This is another resurrection appearance and was convinced by Jesus' presence that he, he became a Christian. He actually becomes probably the greatest Christian missionary 
missionary to ever live. He establishes churches all over the Mediterranean Sea region, and then he writes these letters to the churches that he started. And so the church at Philippi is the church that this letter Philippians was written to. Uh, And we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. Now here's the thing. Uh, When you think about the resurrection story, especially if you've grown up in church, you might think most often about it coming out of one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? It's in there four times. But if you read all the letters and all the stuff in the New Testament, the crucifixion story is told over and over and over and over. It's the core of all the teaching. The Apostle Paul says, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we're wasting our time. And you might not have realized this if you've read Philippians, but there's a telling of the crucifixion Easter story in Philippians chapter 2. And I chose this today because it teaches us not just about uh, the resurrection, the crucifixion. It teaches us about the type of king that we have in this different type of kingdom. So what I wanna do is break this into two sections and I wanna go and put in your head, we're gonna be learning two things about the different type of king that Jesus is today. Uh, And and the first thing happens in Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight. So starting in verse five, let's just read this together, check it out. They say, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. And by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So this passage says that Jesus was in very nature God. So if you think about like what was Jesus' nature, what was his status, what type of being was he, at one point he's in very nature God. We just did a whole three-week teaching series on the nature of God a few weeks ago. I totally recommend that you go check it out on our podcast. It's on most podcast players. Uh, We even archive the video sermons every week on our YouTube channel. So if you don't follow that, go follow it and you can go catch up. But we did a series called Three in One and we talked a lot about the nature of God, specifically about the nature of Jesus, that he is God fully God, who decided to become man, to put on skin, to become flesh, to to relate to us in a different way. And that's what this passage is saying. He was by nature God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be held onto. I love what another version of the Bible says. It says that instead, he emptied himself. This passage says, he made himself nothing. And he became a human, but not just a human. A lowly human. It says a servant, okay? But not just a servant, even lower, a convicted criminal to die on a cross. Do you see this journey? In very nature, God, obedient to death, even death on the cross. What type of king do we serve? In doing this, God set the tone for the goal of what he was trying to establish, which is that he wanted to bring hope to the souls of people. That's a key phrase, to the souls of people. And the way he did that was by bringing his presence into our presence. It's like when you get down on one knee to talk to a kid. You ever done this? You should, by the way. You should always get down on the level of a kid to talk to them. Or you sit next to them on a bench or you lean over and you get in their face. Because when you do that and you make eye contact, you're saying, yeah, I I see you. I care about you. I love you. I want to know your name. I want to know what you're into. It's a simple gesture that makes a big difference. And that's what God did. By bringing his presence into our presence by why the resurrection? 
because he wanted to show us something about himself. I said there's going to be two things that we learn about our king in this passage, and the first one is this. We have a king of a heavenly character. A king of a heavenly character. And the main character trait that you see in this passage is the character trait of humility. He was humble. He took himself from a very high position to a very low position. And actually, as you read through the writings about Jesus, like that seems to be the very most important thing about him. Like that, of all the attributes that he has, he has love, he gives grace, he gives forgiveness. But before he could do any of that, he lowered himself. He made himself nothing, he becomes becomes a man. Why the resurrection? Sorry, why the crucifixion? Why the crucifixion? Why Easter? Because to establish a different type of king, he had a kingdom, he had to be a different type of king. What king lowers himself? What king comes down to the lowest level of a convicted criminal? King Jesus. He says, listen, I I want you to know that I get your situation. I get your brokenness. And it makes a difference. In in my life, uh, I've been in ministry for 21 years. And I've had some crazy, cool opportunities. I've been able to sit in prisons with convicted people and talk about their life. I've been able to sit in courtrooms with accused people. I've been able to sit on the curbs on a street with addicted people, homeless people. I've been able to sit in classrooms with skeptical people. I've been able to sit in hospitals with sick and dying people and in nursing homes with forgotten people. And I've sat in funeral homes with mourning people. And I don't say that to build myself up because that's actually not the goal at all. The only reason I've been able to do that is because other people have sat with me in my most vulnerable moments, in my brokenness, in my shame, in my confusion, in my doubt, in my pain, in my weakness, in my sin, in my shortcomings. They've sat with me and they'd be like, okay, you're not alone. We have a king of a heavenly character. Because the thing I learned from Jesus is that to get to the healing, you have to come down into the hurting to bring the healing. I hope that as a church family, we can be that kind of people who steps into the life of people. We just finished this series last week. A lot of you were here for the whole thing. We talked about being lamp lighters. What does it mean to shine light in dark places? It means to take on the nature of our heavenly king with a heavenly character to lower ourselves and get into the darkness so that we can shine light. Different type of kingdom, different type of king. I said that we're gonna learn two things, okay? We have a king with a heavenly character. Here's the second thing that we learn about our king. We have a king with a spiritual authority. A king with a spiritual authority. Um, You know, the the hallmark of any truly powerful kingdom is their ability to keep their citizens safe, right? We talk about military, right? That's that's why kings and queens for centuries have, you know, built walls and they've dug moats and they've like built armies and they made cannons or today we have like remotely piloted drones and nuclear warheads. Like that's that's why governments do that because the, the, the only real authority of a kingdom or a government is the ability to keep their citizens safe uh, and, and also in subjugation. Like it's a, it's a kind of two, two-sided coin. And that, that's kind of how kingdoms work, which is another reason why we need a different type of king. If you look in the book of Ephesians, which is another book that the apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, uh, he talks about this a little bit and he says this. Like when you think about kingdoms and you think about wars, I mean, think about the Ukraine and Russia or pick your war throughout history. It's it's people fighting people, right? And blood is being shed. The apostle Paul says our battle, actually in reality, all people, our battle is not against flesh and blood. My battle is not with you. It's not with them. It's not with Russia or the Ukraine. My battle is not with them. 
We might have differences of thought. Paul says our battle is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's a spiritual battle. This is the pain that we face. And no government can protect your soul. It can't. If we're going to have a different type of kingdom, we have to have a different type of king. And we have a king with spiritual authority. One who can step into the spiritual realm and say, I got your soul, okay? I'll take care of that. You deal with the stuff on earth, but I'll take care of your spiritual life. I'll take care of your soul. Did you know there's a daily battle for your soul? Every day. Every single day. Media is trying to do, social media is trying to do, radio is trying to do, the people that you're talking to are trying to do, get into your head. There, there are all these type of things. And your battle is not with them, by the way. There are spiritual forces behind that. I know we're so modern and we're so on top of things that like, we just, oh, spiritual stuff, that's just like ancient people believe that. Oh, no, 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 no. No, explain, explain, explain to me sadness. Explain to me what the spark in someone's eye. It's, it's your soul. You, you have an individual personality given to you by your creator. And only a king with spiritual authority can come in and guard that thing. Why the resurrection? We learn in the second half of Philippians chapter 2 about the spiritual authority. Look at verse 9. It says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we've got this picture of a king. He's humbled himself. He's become obedient even to death, even death on a cross. But we just read the story. What happened? The tomb was empty. He began to appear to people very much alive and with authority. And because of raising from the dead, you know what God the Father does? He says, I raise you to a place above all, all other places. Look at these things. To the highest place. The name above every name. That every, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. In other places, he's called the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Why? Because he has spiritual authority. There is no dominion that is beyond his reach. A different type of kingdom, a different type of king. Come on. Like, that's what this is about. The Easter is not about us putting on our pretty clothes and taking pictures with our family and, and eating ham and pickles in the afternoon. Don't get me wrong. That is partly my favorite part of Easter, okay? I, lo I, love, the, I love the pageantry. I love the history of it. I love the tradition of it. Man, if we're not understanding, the reason that we have this holiday is because Christians around the world are going to acknowledge that Jesus rose from the dead. Why? So that you could have life. Oh, we're missing it, guys. Don't miss it today. The kingdom has come. When I was 12 or 13 years old, uh, I had this place that I used to go to with my friends. We loved this place. We called it the farm. I don't know why we called it the farm, because thinking back, there were no like livestock, there was no like, like vegetables. I don't know why we called it the farm. We could have just called it, I guess called it like the, the big space out in the country. Like that doesn't sound as cool. We went to the farm. But anyway, we'd play, we'd run in the woods, we'd, we'd uh, fish in the lake and all that kind of stuff. But my favorite part of going to the farm was this big sand dune that was there. I think because they dug a retention pond and all the sand was there. This big sand dune. And there'd be a bunch of us guys, it was actually a Boy Scout trips we would go on. And, and our favorite thing to do when we got there was to play a game that I think you might have played. You ever played a game called King of the Mountain? 
You might have called it king of the hill. You might have called it king of the castle. I don't know. A king, king of the something, right? And, and it's a very simple game. It can be played anywhere. So take notes if you want to do this when you get home. Is that all you need is some sort of platform that's higher than you are, okay? And then you need a bunch of people who really want to get on top of that platform. That's all you need. That's all you got to do. And then the way you play the game is whoever's on top is the king of the mountain. And whoever's not on top is trying to tear them down off the king of mountain so they can get on top. It's, it's a cycle of game. And you win when you get on top. King of the mountain. Okay, so this is a fun game. Uh, disclaimer here, by the way. This was like the 90s. This is before we learned about um, safety and like taking care of our bodies. Like we didn't know about that. We we're just trying to break our arms all day long. Um, King of the Mountain. Now maybe you haven't played King of the Mountain recently, but I want to give you that imagery because I don't know if you realize this or not, but there's this constant game of King of the Mountain going on all the time in your life. All around us, there are tiny little kings from tiny little kingdoms and they are fighting for that top spot. They want authority over you. It's an unending game. And maybe you spend a lot of your life scratching and clawing trying to get to the top of that mountain yourself. I'm trying to win, man. I'm trying to win. And I don't know if you've ever played King of the Mountain, but even when you get to the top, you don't stay there very long. Many of us have made little kings of so many different things in our life. Like, what is it for you? Uh, it, it might be for you. I mean, the number one thing in so many people's life is you'd say family, right? That's good. That's family. But if you realize family is king, then you realize, wait, I've got to rely on them for everything, even my soul. And how often has family let us down or disappointed us? They can't sustain that top position. Or maybe there have been mean people, destructive people in your life that you've allowed to get on top. They've bullied you, they've pushed you around, they've, they just rule you. And they own that top spot in your life. One king in your life might be your boss or your coworkers, your career. And it's climbed to the top and it gets that top spot. In fact, my guess is that's what we spend most of our time doing in life is working. We have a word, we call it being a workaholic. <laughs> and we get our value and we get our self-worth and we get our sustenance from just thinking we can be enough at work. And that thing is climbing to the top of the mountain. Maybe for you it's a, a hobby that you obsess over. I mean, every free minute you're out in the space that you do that hobby and you're doing that thing. And, or maybe it's politics I'm not even going to go there. Or maybe it's, maybe it's addiction. I mean, addiction is hard, right? And it just holds on. And it can hold that top spot for a long time. It could be social media. It could be maybe you're wrestling with a disease that you've had for years. You just found out about it. It's like, all I can think about is this thing I'm dealing with. First of all, I'm not, you know, casting shade. Like, that's life, right? I mean, in that life... Life is this king of the mountain game. I mean, there's always something, and right when you get to this, you're like, yay, you're winning, and then something else just knocks it down, right? Like, that's, that's life. It's this constant battle, and it's the ability for us to discern and make the best and most wise choices. Like, that's kind of what we kind of do in life. But the message of Easter is that Jesus came to establish a new kingdom. He came to say, listen, all those other little K kings that are in the world, let's let them step to the side. Let me take control of what's going on and let me defend my kingdom by my heavenly character and establish my spiritual power in your life and let me be king of your life. And instead of ruling over, uh, ruling over you and taking away your personal liberties, which is what kingdoms do and what those little K kings do, this is the gift of the king of God, actual freedom, freedom from the slavery to sin that we have. Freedom from the guilt and the shame and the oppression that we feel because, man, I've messed up. You see in the picture? 
It's a whole different type of kingdom with a whole different type of king. Why the crucifixion? Why the resurrection? So that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that at the resurrection, Jesus was crowned king. This is just an introduction to the Kingdom Come series. And I'm really looking forward to what it looks like for us as a community to bring heaven to earth and to act differently and serve differently and be differently in the world. I want to, first of all, just encourage all of you, come back next week. Give it one more week. Like, that's, I know, I know putting church on the schedule is hard. And there's jokes about, I go to church twice a year, you know, Christmas and Easter. Um, but the Kingdom of God is bigger than Sunday morning. The kingdom of God is every day in your life, and, and we need each other. So I want to encourage you to come back and be part of this and get through the rest of this series. And, and as we wrap up, I want to do something. Kind of, I want to workshop this idea a little bit. And so around you, I'm going to ask you to actually do something. Um, look for this piece of paper, okay? There are some that were in the packets. There were some at the end of the chairs and seats. You're going to need a pen and a piece of paper. If you can't find one, it's no big deal. Like, this isn't rocket science. You can actually type it in your phone. It's, it's okay. But tables on the bleachers. Try to find one of these things. And I want to give you... Uh, what is our, our challenge for the week? Every week at our church, we have a challenge. And the goal is that we're going to all do the challenge. All week, we're going to try to do this thing. It's going to help us grow in our walk with God. And it's going to help us, you know, live a better life and all these things and, and live for the king. This week's challenge, I'm going to put up on the screen here, is that every day this week, we'll take time to identify the earthly kings fighting for authority in your life and then intentionally turn the authority for those areas over to Jesus. And it's written at the top of your paper too. I think it's going to come up here in a second. I'll read it again. Each day this week, take time to identify the earthly kings fighting for authority in your life and then intentionally turn the authority for those areas over to Jesus. That's the challenge for this week. And it can be a really powerful discipline to identify the little kings in our life and give it over to Jesus. It can also be very, uh, it can be very difficult. It can also be very life-changing. So here's what I want us to do with this paper. In just a few minutes, I want you to take and think of the top three things in your life that control you. Like off the bat, it's going to maybe be easy, family, work, uh, your calendar, your finances. But don't just stop there. Don't stop at a simple expression. I mean, you, can, you can write down the simple thing, family, work, stress, whatever. But ask yourself why. Why? Like if it's family, why does family occupy, occupy that top spot in your life? Why? Is it because they demand your attention? If you got like little kids and, and like you're so tired that you're, you're actually, you came to church today with two different shoes on and you didn't know until right now, like everybody check real quick. Like that happens. Like it might be that they dominate your life because you're just exhausted and that's all there is to it or, or you really care and you want to be the best parent you can be, whatever. It occupies that top spot in your life. Or maybe it's your work, but why is your work occupying that top spot, the king of the hill spot in your life? Why? Maybe it's because you think like, I, it's all on me. If I don't make enough money, my family's all going to starve and die. We're not going to kick that out of our house. We're not going to have what we need. Like, it's all on me, right? That's a real concern. Or maybe it's your own self thing. Like, I, I, I don't matter unless I, you know, unless I get to a certain spot. I got to get that promotion. I get, what is it? So write down those top three things. I'm, I see some people still writing. I'll give you just a second. Write down those top three things. Uh, maybe it's your calendar. I know, you're so busy. I know, I know. But why? Why is your calendar dominating your life? Think about that. What are the areas in your life that are just, uh, one for a lot of us is maybe a sin in your life. Like it keeps creeping back up. It's an addiction or something that you feel drawn to and tempted to and just in your quiet moments, I keep going there. Why do I keep going in that spot in my life? Take a second to write those down. I want that uh, on, the le- on the left side of your page, if you're writing it down on another piece of paper, why don't you call that the competition? These are the little K kings in our life. These are the things that are 
king of the hill fighting for the authority in your life. On the right side of the page at the top, it says King Jesus. So maybe if you're drawing it yourself, draw a line down the middle and on the right side make a column that says King Jesus. And this is an exercise, okay? You might need to spend more time doing it later. But each one of those little K kings in our life that's trying to rule you, that's trying to have authority over you, the process to living in the kingdom of God is learning how to let King Jesus have authority in that. I'm stressing out over work. I hate my job. I've got so much anxiety. I hate, I hate having to go to work every day, right? Okay. What if we start by praying every day to God, to Jesus? <laughs> Lord, help me in my work to be a, a light to the darkness there. Give me opportunities to talk about who you are. Or let me cast my anxieties over to you. I love what Philippians chapter four says. Is that we don't have to worry about anything, but in prayer and thanksgiving, submit our request to God. Lord, take this anxiety away from me. If it's finances, Lord, help me to trust you more. You know, Jesus, help me to, help me to finance differently. Maybe I need to look at my budget and realize one reason I'm struggling is because I'm spending money on stuff I don't need to have. I've got debt over my head. I can't do it. God, help me see that discernment. So beside each one of those little K kings, every one of them can be dominated by a king of a heavenly character, a king of a spiritual authority. And he can come into our life and begin to heal our soul. The challenge this week is that you can do this every day this week. What? Every day? Yeah. It's not that hard. Taking a shower in the morning and that thing just hits your mind like, oh, I got to do this today. Wait, wait, wait. All right, King Jesus, how are we going to walk through this together? How can your authority and your character help me through this? See? You just did it. You didn't even write it on a piece of paper. It happened in the shower. Great thinking happens in the shower. You're driving to work. You remember the financial thing. I'm stressing out. Wait, I don't need to stress out. I need to pray. I need to maybe make different decisions, whatever. King Jesus, help me through. You see how this exercise works? And God can step in like a filter in your life to help you walk through these moments. Because guess what? You are not powerful enough to do it by yourself. I know Mr. Rogers taught us that we can do anything we want. You can't. You can't overcome your addiction by yourself. You've got to do it in community and you've got to do it with the power of God behind you. You can't overcome your loneliness by yourself. How does that even work? You've got to do it by coming into a relationship with the God who is always there, who can bring you into a relationship with people who can be there when you need them. You can't parent all by yourself because you were probably a terrible kid too. But our God gives us so many great principles in his word on how to raise our kids and how to train them. And it's hard sometimes, yeah. But you don't have to do it alone. We have a different type of kingdom with a different type of king, a king of heavenly character that we can learn to model. It will change your life. And with a spiritual authority that we can lean on when we're broken because God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every other name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I wanna to speak to one last people in the room this morning. Um, last week, my buddy Gabriel walked up to me after church. We showed his picture earlier of him getting baptized. And uh, I'm not gonna spill all his beans and tell all his personal story, but I'll tell you, when I first met Gabriel, he was in a place going, I'm, I'm not sure 
I don't know where I fall with God right now. I don't know what I want to do. And he's been hanging out with us for several months now. And he's been getting into his word, into God's word. And his roommate's been very helpful. Lee's a good Christian guy. And, and after church last week, Gabriel walked up to me and said, Chris, I'm ready. I'm ready to just give it up to Jesus. Can you baptize me today? And I was so excited. There was a group of us back here in the corner. And we were like, yay! And we all like hugged. And it was awkward because we're, you know, we're all awkward in life at some point. But we were excited for Gabriel. And I want to tell you, if you're in the room this morning and, and you're like, I, I just can't. I can't do life right now. I don't know how to get over this hurdle. I don't know what's next. Or I'm looking for something. Or I've been trying life a certain way for a long time and it just doesn't seem to be. God came to establish a kingdom and he wants you to be part of it. And do you know that when you baptize someone into Christ, it's a beautiful thing that happens. You take part in the burial and resurrection. Did you know that? This is in Romans chapter six. You can read it on your own. I'm not making this up. But it says that everyone who's in Christ has been buried with Christ. Like when you go down into the waters of baptism, that's why we do it that way, into water, into immersion. Because it's like, it's like reenacting a burial. And you get to leave the old you behind. You get to die to that person. And then it says you get to be raised to walk in newness of life. That Jesus, as Christ was raised from the dead, that you too can walk in newness of life. That's the promise that's waiting for everybody in the kingdom of God. Maybe that's what you need today. It's Easter Sunday. It's a chance to celebrate. It's a chance to dress pretty and enjoy the weather and eat good food and hang out with friends. But man, God came to establish a kingdom with a king so that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray.